This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Was it true to say, Roy, that uh, your ideas, your experimental ideas, that was something you were going to adapt for the move at the time? Yes, um, it was, yeah. And uh, gradually it became more than just an idea, and you got together with Jeff. At what point did you see that this could be a completely different band? Uh, well, I was sort of really forced to make it a different band because the only other choice I would have had would be to augment the move, which would have meant that the move would have been there as a nucleus, as the band, and the other blokes would have been just session men and, and would, wouldn't have had any identity as a band, which, I mean, bands had done that before, concerts with orchestras and things mm. like that, you mm. know. But I wanted actual people in the band as, as members to do that. Right. You know, so I had to make it a completely different concept, really, and sort of have a different band, different name and everything. My memories of recording 10538 Overture uh, pretty vivid still because it was quite a, an unusual session. This was in Philip's studio in Marble Arch, which was a nice place. And I got this big fat guitar riff and I laid that down. And then Roy started overdubbing cellos. It was the same cello, it was just one cello that he just got, a Chinese one. It cost 30 quid, I think. It was very posh for its day. And, uh, not really. So anyway, we just kept adding these cellos to this big guitar riff and it gradually started turning into something which sounded just like the electric light orchestra and that was the first song and first recording that we made as the AR. Overture was the debut hit for the Electric Light Orchestra in the summer of 1972, although the song first saw the light of day nearly two years earlier, while Roy and Jeff were still recording as The Move. Technology had progressed considerably towards the end of the 60s, but tracks were still limited at the start of the new decade, with eight being the maximum available to most artists. So it was always a case of having both a clear idea of what you wanted to achieve and a methodical approach to recording in order to make the most of your multi-track. 
Nigel Reeve from EMI Records. More often than not, when you look at other people's multi-tracks, everything's set out quite methodically. You, can, you spread the drums over a certain amount of tracks. Roy, in the way he recorded, would have multi-instruments spread all over the multi-tracks. And we've done some rough mixes of some of these tracks in the past. And uh, it takes a little bit of while to get your head around quite where it's at and what Roy was trying to get. But he knew, he knew in his own head, you can look at the multi-tracks, you look at them and go, wow, you know, this is all over the place. But Roy knew exactly what he was doing and how he was doing it. And when you come to kind of go back over those multis and, and try and build again what he originally created, it takes a bit of time to get your head around it. OK, so we're now in Steve Levine's studio and we have the 8-track multi-track of 10538 Overture. 8-track, that sounds a little bit old and archaic, doesn't it, 8? Well, when you look at the date of when this track was recorded, which was the uh, summer of 1970, Eight track was already old technology. Many studios had already started moving towards 16 tracks. So it's unusual in that way. So is this the state of the eight track art in 1970 then? Well, this would have been towards the end of the life of eight track. And so it would have been the best that eight track actually got. So in terms of quality, it's actually quite good quality. So if we start by playing the multi track. Take one. And we'll let it start up. You'll hear the counting. Start by soloing just the drum track. And if you listen carefully, you'll notice that the electric guitar that plays the riff is actually bleeding across the snare microphones. In fact, it's making the snare rattle. So that would indicate that the backing track was cut with the guitar as part of that. And in fact, why don't I now solo that electric guitar? Don't they put the amplifiers, the guitar amps, in a different room these days? Well, these days they do. We try and isolate everything as much as possible, but they have recorded the guitar on a separate track, so there is some control. The other thing that is very significant in the way that this riff comes across is that it's not only just electric guitar, but it's also this beautiful acoustic guitar. So I'll solo just the acoustic guitar so you can hear that. Now I'm going to pan them extreme left and right so that you can hear clearly the electric on one side and the acoustic on the other. And if we add into the bass, you've now got a traditional rock backing track, drums, bass and guitar. Now the thing that made it ELO were the cellos, so why don't we solo the cellos? Although the cellos take up two tracks of the multi-track, they are actually a result of multiple track performances. So Roy recorded as many as 15 actual cello overdubs to create the sound. And this is very complicated to do on 8-track. So in order to get this multiple overdubbing sound, he would record his initial cello, add a second cello and record that to a new track, so that's now two on one track, and keep 
this process going and going and going. That's called bouncing down. Bouncing down and multi-tracking simultaneously. There's no going back. Once he's made the second or third overdub, they would have had to have wiped the original track. So it just builds this enormous sound. Is that why ELO Records sounded so big and fat? Because he always played over himself rather than recording 15 cellists at one time? Well, the sound of rock and roll cellos are very, very different to the sound of cellos recorded with an orchestra. Traditionally, if one was recording an orchestra, you'd have multiple mics, but because of the sheer number of players, you can't get the microphones that close. When you have an individual cello player, or say a quartet, you can get the microphones physically much closer. And because of the way that they would have recorded this, using compression and EQ to create that very biting sound, it becomes a sound of its own. And in fact, when you compare the sound of Roy's cellos to that of a real orchestra, they are significantly different. But you need that to fight against the sound of drums and bass of a rock record. Because again, if you listen to a classical record, they don't have this huge, great big drum sound on them. So he invented rock cello, did he? I think he did. I think he did. The other part of the orchestra that Roy has added is French horn. Now, because tracks were very tight, the French horn, which is actually double-tracked, one part of it is on the tambourine track and the other part is on the vocal track. So let me just solo the two French horns. So here's the first track of French horn. And now the second one. So this is once again Roy playing his French horn twice. Correct. Over himself. And that creates this slightly choral sound. If you think back again to an orchestra, an orchestra, a French horn section, maybe four, possibly six, and sometimes even eight, but it's normally a large section. And very often French horns play in unison, and by a single player playing the part twice, you create somewhat of an orchestral sound. And this whole process must have taken ages. It would have taken longer then because of the fact they had such limited tracks and the bouncing process would have had to have taken place after every significant overdub. On the subject of bouncing, let's now listen to the vocals. Did you see a friend crying from his eyes today? Now the vocals take up only one track, but as you can clearly hear, they're a multi-vocal sound. Through the streets and far away now, I can't separate them because they are only on one track. But I want to draw your attention to this very interesting part of the backing vocals. Let me just play you this. What's he done to the voices there? Well, it sounds like the vocals have then been placed through the Leslie cabinet of an organ. Normally, a Leslie cabinet would be used with a Hammond organ. And it's a, a very well-known sound. You can slow and speed up the sound of the horn, which creates this Doppler effect. Now, putting the vocals through it was quite a production trick. So what they did was they would have recorded the vocals first, fed them out into the studio through the speaker cabinet of the Leslie, and then sped the Leslie cabinet up to create that sound. Wobbly sound. And then re-recorded it back onto the tape. The Beatles had used this effect on some of their songs, but it's actually a difficult process. But I think you'll agree, quite a, a brilliant sound in the track, and it's certainly a signature sound on this record. Electric Light Orchestra's 10538 Overture. And before we leave the track, a final word from Roy on how Jeff Lynne's song got its title. He said I'd like the song to be about um, somebody with a, a number 
and not a name, a bit like the Prisoner TV series. And we were thinking about it, we were going through, and it was singing bits and pieces in the control room. And then we noticed there was a number on the, on the mixing desk, and it was 1053, was the actual serial number of the mixer, the mixing desk. And we looked at it, we pointed at each other, and that was it. And it just added the number eight on the end, 10538, and it just worked a treat. And we were smiling all day after that. It was brilliant. I think they once said they were taken off where the Beatles left off with Walrus, and I think this is a good result of it. Uh, this is the thing that started the Electric Light Orchestra off. It was a bit of a fluke, really. Uh, it's a number by Jeff called 10538 Overture. Listening to Day by Day, the series where we do an episode a day, however many days it takes until we make it through a band's catalog. This is day one of Day by Day ELO, or Electric Light Orchestra. So there was this British band called The Move, and their second album, Shazam, came out in 1970. And it was The Move trying to get away from their identity as a pop group and introducing a harder edge.
At the same time the move were making this move, the driving force behind the band, Roy Wood, was focusing much of his creative energy on a new idea, an orchestral rock project. This source of distraction led to a disagreement between Roy Wood and the move's vocalist, Carl Wayne, and after witnessing a fight between Roy Wood and a drunken audience member in Sheffield, Carl Wayne decided to quit the band about a month before Shazam came out. So the move needed a replacement, and they again went to a guy named Jeff Lynn, who had previously been asked to join the band already, but Jeff was committed to his band, The Idol Race. But this second time around, he agreed to join the band as a second guitarist and a second vocalist, Roy Wood also sang. It also helped that Jeff Lynne was enthusiastic about Roy Wood's idea for this orchestral rock act, which Roy Wood had decided to call the Electric Light Orchestra. Roy Wood also welcomed the idea of having another songwriter in the move to relieve some of the pressure on him, and Jeff Lynne was a songwriter. The Idol Race had some great songs, especially this one, Days of Broken Arrows. some headphones from a company that was double the price and yes she loves them now if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of raycons or even if you have but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good well now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So... 
What are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The Move's first recording with Jeff Lynne was a pretty heavy rock song called Brontosaurus, later covered by Cheap Trick. Actually, they put the riff of the song into their version of California Man, and then they eventually covered the entire song when they were produced by Steve Albini for a sub-pop single. So even though Roy Wood and Jeff Lynne had gotten to work on this orchestral rock project, the Electric Light Orchestra, The Move still owed the record label another album, which resulted in the band writing and recording a third album, which they called Looking On. At this point, they had returned to a previous manager named Don Arden, an infamous guy. And even though Wood and Lynn were thinking of looking on as the last album by The Move and they were going to concentrate on Electric Light Orchestra, Don Arden actually leveraged the release of Looking On to land The Move a new record deal, a three-album deal with Harvest Records. Now, this new record deal... Uh, the label that Looking On was released by Fly Records, they weren't really that happy about it, and they kind of lost interest in the Looking On album and didn't really promote it. But they did release a single, a song called When Alice Comes Back to the Farm. Originally, the B-side of that single was going to be a song written by Jeff Lynne called 10538 Overture. But Roy and Jeff decided to hold that song over for the Electric Light Orchestra project, and it would end up being the first song on the first Electric Light Orchestra album. So at the same time that Roy Wood and Jeff Lynne were creating the first album for this new project, Electric Light Orchestra, they also found themselves recording a new album by The Move for Harvest Records. Ended up being called Message from the Country, and it came out in the summer of 1971. That album was followed by two more singles, both written by Roy Wood, Tonight and Chinatown both great songs, and they made some television appearances to promote those singles, and the move added two additional musicians at this point who would go on to become members of ELO. Bill Hunt, who played horns, woodwinds, and piano, and Richard Tandy, who played both guitar and bass. So the first self-titled album by the Electric Light Orchestra 
came out in December of 1971. And even after that, one more single was released by The Move, a song called California Man. And on the B-side was a song written by Jeff Lynne called Do Ya. And Do Ya was actually the only song by The Move to crack the Billboard Hot 100, making it all the way up to number 93. Speaking of the U.S., the self-titled Electric Light Orchestra album was released in America with the title of No Answer. And the reason it was called No Answer in the U.S. is because a secretary from the American record company called the U.K. record company, but... No one answered, so she jotted down a note that said, No Answer, and then that became the title of the album in America. So for the first Electric Light Orchestra album, you have much of the instruments being performed by Roy Wood, along with Jeff Lynne and another member of the move, Bev Bevan, and then you have French horn by Bill Hunt and violin from Steve Woolham. ELO's debut concert took place in April of 1972 in Surrey with a lineup of Wood, Lynn, Bevan, Bill Hunt, Andy Craig, Mike Edwards, and Hugh McDowell all on cello, Wilfred Gibson on violin, and Richard Tandy on bass. All right, so let's get into this first album from the Electric Light Orchestra. The album opens with a song by Jeff Lynn called 10538 Overture. This is a seriously cool, epic song. The inclusion of the orchestral instruments, which was Roy Wood's vision, makes for a very unique sound. Roy Wood had previously experimented similarly with this kind of varied instrumentation on his solo album, Boulders, which is also great. As talented as Roy Wood is, Jeff Lynne is no slouch. So for this version of the song on this first ELO album, the vocals are pretty buried in the mix, and it sounds like Jeff Lynne and Roy Wood are trading lines. There's some great melodies here, and it all comes to an appropriately chaotic finale. So this is a very cool song, and right off the bat, 
we're getting an idea of what Roy Wood had in mind, including these stringed instruments, these orchestral instruments, working them into the rock music sound of the move and developing it into something unique and different. The next song on the debut album by the Electric Light Orchestra is a Roy Wood song called Look At Me Now. This is a subdued song with no guitar, no drums, just the stringed instruments. I like this song, but I think it would be better if they had maintained the rock elements and you know had a band, guitar, bass, and drums playing along with the stringed instruments. But this is a stripped-back, stripped-down take on the Electric Light Orchestra project, but it really doesn't follow, doesn't fall in line with the concept because we don't get the combination of rock and orchestra except for the fact that the song written by Roy Wood is in the style of a Roy Wood song, but then it's sung over the orchestral instruments. I like the song, but... It's not great, and it would probably be a lot better, like I said, if you had the band, the rock band instrumentation also involved. third song on the album is by Jeff Lynn. It's called Nelly Takes Her Bow. Another orchestral song that takes a couple of minutes to kick in with the rock elements. 
We get the weird inclusion of what I think is a trombone. The song gets a bit atonal in the middle. It's kind of all over the place with some piercing instrumental bits. And it's six minutes long. So this is a bit overblown, even pretentious. There are decent parts, but overall, I don't think I really like this song. It's too long and schizophrenic. fourth song and the last song on side one is called The Battle of Marston Moor, July 2nd, 1644, by Roy Wood. So I called the last song pretentious. Well, we've already got this title. And I complained about the length of the last song. Well, this song is six minutes as well. And it's just all over the place. It's basically an instrumental. And honestly, I find this to be unlistenable. I am therefore bound by no other cause. I shall raise an army. Together we will march against the people and your kind. And every born man will fight to regain his own freedom and cleanse his wretched soul. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Let's flip the record over. Side two opens with another Roy Wood instrumental called First Movement, parentheses, Jumping Biz. At least this one is half as long as the last one at three minutes. It's actually pretty and melodic. There's some great acoustic guitar playing, but even at three minutes, it's still a bit too long for an instrumental for me. This piece could have been used better as more of an interlude. If this is an introduction for side two, it's too long to just be an intro. But honestly, in my opinion, the best use of this piece of music would have been to write some lyrics and make it a song because it probably could have been great. Second song on side two is a song by Jeff Lynne called Mr. Radio. This song definitely hints at things to come with ELO. That being said, at five minutes... And without much in terms of a chorus, this just kind of goes on and on and on. The instrumentation works, but I just think this song is dull. Third song on side two is a song by Jeff Lynne, another instrumental called Manhattan Rumble, parentheses 49th Street Massacre. This is another meandering instrumental that feels like different parts that are just shoehorned together without much of a purpose. It's obviously pretty easy for me to shit on something like this that might have been given a lot of thought and is skillfully composed, but to me... It sounds more random and just strung together. And as I'm listening to it, I don't see the point. I don't hear the point. If this is composed and, you know, if there's an artistic element that I'm missing because I just don't understand, I will cop to that. But this, just for me, this does nothing for me.
Up next, fourth song on side two, also by Jeff Lynn, called Queen of the Hours. This is a good song, probably my second favorite song on the album after the first song. The song is cohesively arranged, has some great melodies, and it doesn't drag on and on like these instrumentals. So it's a well-written song, and it's concise and focused, which is part of being well-written. So I really enjoy this one. Closing out the album, we get a song by Roy Wood called Whisper in the Night. It's a very pretty ballad. Roy Wood was an insanely talented guy. Uh, He seemed to play every instrument on earth and had a great singing voice and could write great songs. So if Roy Wood's going to sit down and try to write a pretty ballad, he's going to do a pretty good job of it. The vocals are buried in the mix again. But this is a very good song from Roy Wood. So that's the first album by Electric Light Orchestra. Overall, it really drags on a bit, especially with the instrumentals. And it really comes down to the first song is great. And then all the way at the end, we get a couple of really good songs. Queen of the Hours and Whisper in the Night. But as an album... You know, it really gets bogged down in the middle. Starts and ends strong. Not much to like for me about the whole middle section of the album. So let's see what they do for their second album. Electric Light Orchestra 2 or ELO 2. We'll find out tomorrow.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.